Welcome to the Out of the Ordinary Podcast. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. Some of my favorite ordinary things are homegrown flowers, strawberry jam, and old books with someone else's notes in them. And some of mine are hot tea, always with milk and sugar, a good movie, my mom's hand-me-down books, and Sunday afternoon naps. This is the podcast where we believe that the best stories grow out of ordinary life. Get comfy. Here we go. So many of you have told us you wish you could visit us here at Maplehurst. I have good news for you. Christy has the most amazing book coming out next year called Placemaker, and it really chronicles her journey to Maplehurst and what life here at Maplehurst looks like. And for those of you who pre-order the book that comes out in the spring, she has the most beautiful collection of gifts she wants to give you. Between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I am giving everyone who pre-orders a copy of Placemaker my illustrated guide to the four seasons at Maplehurst. This has been illustrated beautifully by Jen Tucker, and each season, spring, summer, fall, and winter, includes four prints, one with inspiration for the kitchen, one for the flower garden, one with tips for the vegetable garden, and one with all of my favorite books to read during that season. How do people get access, Christy? Easy. Just head to christypurifoy.com. All the instructions are there. This is the story of a Christmas baby, which feels so appropriate because here (laughs) it comes, the beautiful week leading up to the Christ child's arrival. But this is the story about my Christmas baby. Because I tell you what, Christy, there was something about being pregnant in the Christmas season. I bet. I've never had that experience. I mean, it really does literally internalize the experience of what it might have been like for that young mother, Mary, as she was literally walking toward Mm -hmm. her son's birthday, traveling by donkey to a tiny remote village. And it changed for me forever how I experience Christmas. Mm. For a long time, I'm, I kid you not, for a long time, I couldn't sing Silent Night. It annoyed me too much because oh, really? I just thought, really silent? <laughs> oh. You know, the infant, no crying. Oh. What are you talking about? Like, I wanted someone to write a version that was much grittier <laughs> than Silent Night, as I imagined the unsanitary conditions that mm. she was in and how terrifying and what it might have been like and how did they go, you know, who went running? Did Joseph go running to find a midwife who Mm. could come? Because I don't imagine Joseph would have been equipped to help her deliver Mm. that baby. And the midwives that came hustling in in the middle of the night, and maybe Joseph's job was really just trying to scoop out animal dung to make it more sanitary Mm. in there and rip up something to have cloths to wrap the baby in. And was Mary scared? Was it uncomfortable? Was it a very hard birth? How had the pregnancy been? I mean, I when I was pregnant with our second born, Micah, we were living in Michigan, in Owasso, Michigan, a, a small town where everybody knew everybody. Mm. And I was pregnant with this baby and the snow was falling and we were counting down to Christmas. And all I could think about was Mary and what her experience might have been like and what it was like to walk in those shoes a tiny bit as we journeyed toward Christmas Day. And we had ourselves been living through 
a very difficult season. It had been a difficult season in our marriage, a difficult season in our family. We had, prior to being in Michigan, we were in South Africa. And I had lived away from South Africa for a decade at that point. My entire family is South African. And we had come home triumphant, thinking (laughs) we're making the big move back to South Africa. And my firstborn was born in South Africa. I felt like he was my peace offering to my family. I've been (laughs) gone for a decade. I will have my firstborn in my motherland. (laughs) But you know, we can make all the plans we want. And sometimes they are just not to be. And it was just a really hard season where Peter couldn't find the kind of work that he needed in South Africa. We weren't able to settle. We couldn't find roots. Just everything seemed to push us back out Mm. to the States. And Pete had been offered this great job in Michigan. His family's all from Michigan. We ended up living right around the corner from his aunt and uncle and cousins. And so what I didn't realize at the time, what felt like deep failure profound loss for me to have to move away from my homeland, from my parents, from my community. I mean, you had already done that. And it felt like such failure. You Uh, know, we hadn't made it. We couldn't settle here. I was so angry with God. I felt like I had prayed and prayed and prayed and he hadn't answered my prayer. Mm. And of course, what I mean by that is he hadn't given me exactly what What I I wanted. wanted. (laughs) Right. And he moved us to Michigan and... It ended up being the most beautiful season of our lives. Looking Mm. back on it, it really felt like a Psalm 23 experience. Mm. He leads me beside still waters Mm. and green pastures. You know, he lays a table for me. He anoints my head with oil. We arrived in Michigan very broken, not sure what the future held, feeling a sense of loss and failure, not sure who we were as a married couple, who we were as parents. Not sure how to even explain to our American family what had happened in South Africa. And we just felt like bits and pieces of ourselves. But God knew. And we were looking for a place to stay. We had such limited means. We had such limited finances at that point. But Pete's aunt had a friend who had been un- they'd been un- unable to sell their home. They had moved away from the state. Their home was open. And it was the most gorgeous house, this big, beautiful home on a golf course. I visited you there. Yes, you I did. I couldn't believe it was that you were unreal. living in that house. Unreal. <laughs> and I mean, cornfields on the other side, as far as the eye I could see. I love that. So beautiful. This huge kitchen with this massive panoramic window that mm. would look out. So in winter, the snow would be falling and we'd see like wild turkeys running across mm. the lawn outside. And so they offered for us to live there for very, very minimal rent because they just felt it would be safer to have people in the house rather than have it open. And so we moved into this incredibly beautiful home. Peter had a job and work that he found meaningful, and we had family right around the corner. Hmm. And it felt like God said, I know that you guys are hurting, and I'm going to give you a place to recover. Hmm. And Michigan became our Psalm 23 And Pete's aunt, Marsha, I'll just never forget it. She's a doctor and she would come home. She'd come over to our house every day after work and she would just be there to play with Jackson, who was two at the time. She'd bring her kids over who were teens to play with us. And we just lived in so many ways the season of recovery, Mm. but really in the arms of family. 
Pete's parents, Pete's mom used to drive up. It was kind of a long drive from her. They were coming from Illinois, but she could do like six or seven hours. She'd come up and spend a weekend or a long weekend with us. There's other family in Detroit who would constantly come and visit. And so unbeknownst to us, the season of what had felt really broken ended up being really a bounty of God's blessing in our lives. And this really reminds me of one of the episodes we talked about earlier, this idea of how God breaks things in order to multiply things. Mm-hmm. You know, He breaks the bread, He breaks the loaves, He breaks the fishes, He breaks His own life in order to multiply. And we arrived in Michigan just feeling so broken. But looking back, I just see the multiplicity of blessing that came out of that season in completely unexpected We didn't even know to ask for it, but Mm. there it was nonetheless. And so it was while we were living in Michigan that I became pregnant with what what turned out to be our second son, but we didn't know that at the time. And I remember so clearly I was pregnant and we went home to South Africa to visit. And it was the first time we'd been back since we left in what had felt like, and I don't think it was real, Mm. but I experienced as a sense of disgrace and shame Mm. and failure. Mm -hmm. We hadn't been able to make it. We couldn't Mm -hmm. cut it. Of course, that's not how our family saw it, Mm. but our internal monologues are very powerful things. The stories we tell ourselves about ourselves are very difficult to rewrite. And I remember we went home to South Africa. My dad is a doctor too. And I was about, you know, 18, 20 weeks pregnant. And we knew there was a chance he could do a sonogram to discover the sex of the baby. And I so badly wanted him to be the doctor, right? Your own dad. Wow. Yes. How precious is that? But we knew it would have to be just really fortuitous because it was still pretty early. And I will never forget us all being crowded into his little exam room. And there's me and there's Peter, there's my dad, there's his amazing wife, my just incredible stepmom, Vanda, there's little Jackson, there's my adopted brother, Karabwa. I mean, we're like all crammed in this room, right? (laughs) And my dad has the sonogram machine on, he has the wand on my belly, and he is so great. He is praying the whole time he's doing the sonogram. Please, Lord, please, Lord, help me to see. Help me to to get a good picture of the baby. And so if you have kids listening at this point, you might want to just mute because I'm going (laughs) to use some anatomically correct language. Because my dad was so funny in the midst of this very fervent prayer, he says, Please, God, let me get a good vision. I just asked you, Lord, let me see. (gasps) There's the penis. Hallelujah. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) To this day, we tell Micah, your grandpa was the first one who saw your manhood, son. (laughs) Does he like that story? (laughs) I'm not sure. He laughs at it. I think for him, it's very special that everybody was so delighted to discover who he was, you know? And it was just Redemption upon redemption, I felt like God took broken things and made beautiful things out of them when we were there for that visit, just a celebration of new life that had come at the end of a season that had felt like there had been some death involved that had been that hard, the loss we'd experienced in leaving South Africa. So for us to discover... The baby was a boy while we were home. It was so precious to us. But we didn't have a name. People kept asking us, you know, what's his name? What are you going to name him? And we we really didn't have an, any idea at all, which was strange to me because I take names very, very seriously. I think about them. I read about them. I mean, there are streets I have refused to live on. I'm not oh. joking. 
because of the name of the street. How crazy is that? But it's true. Not at all. I think as a writer, names are just matters so much to me. Yes, it matters so much to me. So we ended up leaving South Africa, heading back to Michigan, and just really felt like we were flying home, really on the joy and the love and the affirmation of our family. Just such an amazing season it was. And it felt like God had just really healed some deep wounds that we had experienced, that we had left with. And I will never forget, as we were taking off on that flight, as the plane rose up out of Johannesburg, heading back to the States, the baby gave this giant (gasps) kick in my belly, and the name Micah just dropped into my head. Really? And I didn't know anybody by that name. I wasn't familiar with the story of Micah. I mean, I know the prophet. There's a part of, you know, we talk about what is required of you, O man, but to do justly, to walk humbly. We are familiar with that Bible verse. But beyond that, I really didn't know much about the name Micah. And I told Peter, oh my goodness, you know, the baby kicked. I heard this name. I think this is the name of our son. I have never heard that part of the story. That's incredible. When we landed, we spent time researching and looking up what does it mean? Uh What does Micah mean? We read more about the prophet. And I actually unpack a lot of this in my book, Surprised by Motherhood, which is the first book I ever wrote. And of all my book babies, it's my favorite. I always say I love it. It's the story of this journey of motherhood. But the meaning of the name Micah is who is like God. And man, it felt like God was saying to us, anytime you question your journey, your painful experiences, where you are now, what comes next, and you're full of doubt, I'm always full of doubt. I'm always worried it's our own fault, that we did it wrong. We deserve Mm -hmm. whatever hard thing we're going through. It was this living reminder that God says, no, 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 you aren't God. (laughs) You aren't God. You don't know. You don't see the way I see. Who is like God? God is the one that sees. God is the one that plans. God is the one that breaks in order to multiply. God is the one that restores. God is the one that redeems. We came home to Michigan and we're living in this beautiful home have this baby. We became part of a church community. We were surrounded by family. And there's the snow falling as like only it can fall in Michigan, this gorgeous winter wonderland. And I will never forget that Christmas. Peter's entire family came in from the four corners of Michigan. His family drove, his parents drove up from Illinois. And we spent that Christmas in this beautiful, great room in front of the fireplace with the snow falling outside. And I told them about a tradition we have in South Africa when it comes to Christmas. And in South Africa, we celebrate Christmas really on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is when we do all the readings, when we exchange gifts. Christmas Eve is really the moment of Mm -hmm. Christmas in South Africa. And then Christmas Day, traditionally, all the kids are playing with their toys and we go to church on Christmas Day. And his family knew that about us and said, well, we want to do that. Whatever you do on Christmas Eve, we want to do it. And I was massively pregnant. (laughs) I mean, like he was born two days later. Okay. So I am so pregnant. I'm at that stage where you can hardly breathe. And I said, well, what we, one of the things we do is we print out the entire Christmas story. And then each person gets assigned a few verses and we read it, like the whole thing out loud. I like that. from Just from Luke? From from Luke, Mm -hmm. yes. And so they said, well, great, let's do it. And I'll never forget all the generations of family we had in this room from, you know, great grandparents down to Jackson, who's like two and a half at the time. 
And we sat around the fireplace and we had the book of Luke and we read the ancient words that were this beautiful story of God sending a savior for us. I had this baby in my belly kicking and his name was Who is Like God. Mm. And two days later, December 27th, I went into labor and man, I will tell you what, that (laughs) baby was the hardest delivery I have had out of all three of my kids. It was Mm. so, so difficult. It took a kind of courage I didn't even know that I had. And he came pushing hard into the world and has continued to do that (laughs) the rest of his nearly 11 years now. And I have had multiple occasions to look back to those words God gave us, who is like God, when I question Am I capable of parenting this child? Do mm. I know what he's what he needs? It's so difficult. Am I failing him? Am I scarring him? Is he scarring me? <laughs> it's, like, it's so hard. And time and time again, I hear that reminder from the Lord, who is like God, that God knows in our families, whatever you've walked through this year, whatever you're carrying with you into this Christmas season, no matter how hard or how heavy or how wonderful it is, We cannot fathom the mind of the God who has created the story for us, who's written it for us with such tender care, because that son that he gave us out of that season has continued to shape Peter and I in such unexpected ways. Mm. And he has written a story for our family that I wouldn't have anticipated myself in areas where we've struggled so much, where he's struggled in terms of lots of big feelings that he finds hard to manage and struggles with reading and struggles with writing. And yet, he's this giant kid, you know, he came out really big and he has not stopped growing. (laughs) He is huge and he has everything about him is big. His will, his strength, his determination, his leadership, his frustrations, they are big. There's no small here. But constantly when I look at him, I just think, wow, wow, God gave me, God gave me this kid. It wasn't a mistake. God gave me this gift of this Christmas baby who constantly reminds me over and over and over again of how God is a giver of good gifts. Mm -hmm. He gives good gifts. Mm -hmm. He doesn't give bad gifts. He's not out to destroy us. He's not out to hurt us. He's not out, you know, to bring obstacles into our life just for the fun of it. He's not the great sadist. He's the great giver of good gifts, including Christmas babies. And so it has been... So meaningful to me every Christmas to re-unwrap the gift of this Christmas baby who constantly teaches me to keep remembering who is like God. So I don't have a long story to tell, but just this little short tidbit of a story. (laughs) You're speaking about Christmas babies and gifts, and I am married to a man who was born on Christmas Day. your Christmas baby. My Christmas baby, my husband, Jonathan. And his name means gift of God. Oh my goodness, yes. Gift of God, and goodness, is he that? (laughs) He's such a gift. He's been a gift to his parents. He is a gift to me and to his children. But it does mean that because of this gift that came on Christmas, our Christmas season is extra full. (laughs) And not only do we celebrate Christmas and the birth of Jesus, but we celebrate Jonathan's birthday. And then just a couple days later on the 28th, we celebrate our wedding anniversary. We married as college students. 
which meant that we really had two choices. We could get married in the summer (laughs) or we could get married during that little window of Christmas break. So we chose uh, to get married at Christmas time. So it is a full jam-packed season of celebration. And it has taught me that celebrating, like keeping the season can be hard work. Mm. It's not necessarily yes. convenient. Yes, and that's being true. Because Micah's birthday is the 27th right. too. Yeah. It, is, it can be very inconvenient. Yes, so, being pregnant itself is uh, yeah, challenging. Yeah. Yes. And so Christmas Day for me can look like, you know, I don't want to forget my husband. I want yeah. to, to honor right. him or remember him in some way on Christmas Day. And so often that means making a special dessert for him. Mm. And he is not a cake person okay like right. I am <laughs> he is a pie guy <laughs> all the way and um I find pies just a little more challenging That's you've got so the funny. crust and the fillings and he usually wants some creamy confection like coconut cream pie mm, or banana delicious. cream pie and now most people would just order up that pie from a shop and I have done that at times or picked it up at the grocery store But love for me at birthday time is all about some homemade Mm. dessert. And so as often as I can, I do love to try to make that pie myself. But it means that I'm making Christmas dinner. I'm, you know, dealing with the kids. And now I'm trying to make a pie. And it is, it's not easy, but it is worth doing. Because Mm. what it means, what the day means for our family is so, so monumental. So I know there are probably people here who are beginning to feel, who are listening here today, who are beginning to feel just the stress of the, yeah, the season, that right. the gift of Christmas comes with, you know, certain responsibilities and traditions that can become burdensome, tasks. Maybe you just have a few more gifts on your list or um, you're feeling the worries of your budget or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And um, I think this is just one more thing that Jesus invites us to lay that, you know, to have, toss that burden mm, down, yeah. <laughs> to take his yoke that is easy and light, and to remember what a gift this time of year is. Our God is that he is a giver of good, good gifts. And the season is a gift. And the son who was born to us, Emmanuel, God with us, is the ultimate gift. And I just want to stop and remember that today and kind of let the rest go, I think. Although I do need to consider what pie I will be making this year. <laughs> I, I might need to start my grocery list. <laughs> I know. And in the spirit of that, in the spirit of taking a pause now to really enter into the season and not be anxious or stressed by it, we at the podcast will be taking a pause for the next couple weeks so that we can enter into the spirit of Christmas with our families and so that you can feel like there's one less thing you have to do. <laughs> but we will be back in your ears January 2nd, starting the new year together. And we just wanted to thank you for this beautiful season we walked with you guys through this first year of the out of the ordinary and there are so many times christy and i have woken up on wednesday mornings and listened to our own episode (laughs) and felt like god ministered to us through something that had been recorded weeks earlier that we have just rediscovered ourselves the gifts that that are buried there in ordinary life like treasure that are waiting to be unwrapped. So in this season of unwrapping, we just hope that you will continue to see your own ordinary life through the unique lenses of knowing that this is where the extraordinary lingers. And we look forward to talking to you again in the new year. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. <laughs>